0: Part Two, Chapter Two of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, an Underwater Tour of the World by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Two, A New Proposition from Captain Nemo. On January twenty-eighth, in latitude nine degrees four minutes north when the nautilus returned at noon to the surface of the sea it lay in sight of land some eight miles to the west right off i observed a cluster of mountains about two thousand feet high whose shapes were very whimsically sculpted after our position fix i re-entered the lounge and when our bearings were reported on the chart i saw that we were off the island of ceylon that pearl dangling from the lower lobe of the indian peninsula i went looking in the library for a book about this island one of the most fertile in the world sure enough i found a volume entitled Ceylon and the singalese by h c sir esquire re-entering the lounge i first noted the bearings of Ceylon, on which antiquity lavished so many different names it was located between latitude five degrees fifty five minutes and nine degrees forty nine minutes north and between longitude seventy nine degrees forty two minutes and eighty two degrees four minutes east of the meridian of greenwich its length is two hundred and seventy five miles its maximum width, a hundred and fifty miles its circumference nine hundred miles its surface area twenty four thousand four hundred forty eight square miles in other words a little smaller than that of ireland just then captain nemo and his chief officer appeared the captain glanced at the chart then turning to me the island of ceylon he said is famous for its pearl fisheries would you be interested professor aranax in visiting one of those fisheries certainly captain fine it's easily done only when we see the fisheries we'll see no fishermen the annual harvest hasn't yet begun no matter i'll give orders to make for the gulf of manar and we'll arrive there late tonight. the captain said a few words to his chief officer who went out immediately Soon the Nautilus re-entered its liquid element, and the pressure gauge indicated that it was staying at a depth of thirty feet with the chart under my eyes, I looked for the Gulf of Menar. I found it by the ninth parallel off the northwestern shores of Ceylon. It was formed by the long curve of Little Minar Island to reach it. We had to go all the way up Ceylon's west coast. Professor captain nemo then told me there are pearl fisheries in the bay of bengal the seas of the east indies the seas of china and japan plus those seas south of the united states the gulf of panama and the gulf of california but it's off Ceylon that such fishing reaps its richest rewards no doubt we'll be arriving a little early fishermen gather in the gulf of manar only during the month of march and for thirty days some three hundred boats concentrate on the lucrative harvest of these treasures from the sea each boat is manned by ten oarsmen and ten fishermen the latter divide into two groups dive in rotation and descend to a depth of twelve meters with the help of a heavy stone clutched between their feet and attached by a rope to their boat you mean, I said, that such primitive methods are still all that they use? All, oh, Captain Nemo answered me, although these fisheries belong to the most industrialized people in the world, the English, to whom the Treaty of Amiens granted them in eighteen o two. Yet it strikes me that diving suits like yours could perform yeoman service in such work. Yes, since those poor fishermen can't stay long underwater on his voyage to ceylon the englishman percival made much of a kaffir who stayed under five minutes without coming up to the surface but i find that hard to believe i know that some divers can last up to fifty-seven seconds and highly skillful ones to eighty-seven but such men are rare and when the poor fellows climb back on board the water coming out of their noses and ears is tinted with blood i believe the average time under water that these fishermen can tolerate is thirty seconds during which they hastily stuff their little nets with all the pearl oysters they can tear loose but these fishermen generally don't live to advanced age their vision weakens ulcers break out on their eyes sores form on their bodies and some are even stricken with apoplexy on the ocean floor yes i said it's a sad occupation and one that exists only to gratify the whims of fashion but tell me captain how many oysters can a boat fish up in a work day about forty thousand to fifty thousand it's even said that in eighteen fourteen when the english government went fishing on its own behalf its divers worked just twenty days and brought up seventy six million oysters at least i asked the fishermen are well paid aren't they hardly professor in panama they make just one dollar per week in most places they earn only a penny for each oyster that has a pearl and they bring up so many that have none only one penny to those poor people who make their employers rich that's atrocious on that note professor captain nemo told me You and your companions will visit the Menar Oysterbank, and if by chance some eager fisherman arrives early, well, we can watch him at work. That suits me, Captain. By the way, Professor Aranax, you aren't afraid of sharks, are you? Sharks! I exclaimed. This struck me as a pretty needless question, to say the least. Well, Captain Nemo went on, I admit captain i'm not yet on very familiar terms with that genus of fish we're used to them the rest of us captain nemo answered and in time you will be too anyhow we'll be armed and on our way we might hunt a man-eater or two it's a fascinating sport so professor i'll see you tomorrow right and early this said in a carefree tone captain nemo left the lounge if you're invited to hunt bears in the swiss mountains you might say oh good i get to go bear hunting tomorrow if you're invited to hunt lions on the atlas plains or tigers in the jungles of india you might say "Ha! now's my chance to hunt lions and tigers but if you're invited to hunt sharks in their native element you might want to think it over before accepting as for me i passed a hand over my brow Where beads of cold sweat were busy forming let's think this over i said to myself and let's take our time hunting otters in underwater forests as we did in the forests of crespo island is an acceptable activity but to roam the bottom of the sea when you're almost certain to meet man-eaters in the neighborhood that's another story i know that in certain countries particularly the anderman islands negroes don't hesitate to attack sharks dagger in one hand and noose in the other but i also know that many who face those fearsome animals don't come back alive besides i'm not a negro and even if i were a negro in this instance i don't think a little hesitation on my part would be out of place and there i was fantasizing about sharks envisioning huge jaws armed with multiple rows of teeth and capable of cutting a man in half i could already feel a definite pain around my pelvic girdle and how i resented the offhand manner in which the captain had extended his deplorable invitation you would have thought it was an issue of going into the woods on some harmless fox hunt thank heavens i said to myself Conseil will never want to come along, and that'll be my excuse for not going with the captain.' "'As for Ned Land, I admit I felt less confident of his wisdom. "'Danger, however great, held a perennial attraction for his aggressive nature. "'I went back to reading Sir's book, but I leafed through it mechanically. "'Between the lines I kept seeing fearsome, wide-open jaws.' Just then Conseil and the Canadian entered with a calm even gleeful air little did they know what was waiting for them "ee god sir ned land told me you're captain nemo the devil take him has just made us a very pleasant proposition" "oh" i said "you know about with all due respect to master" conseil replied "the nautilus's commander has invited us together with master for a visit tomorrow to Ceylon's magnificent pearl fisheries he did so in the most cordial terms and conducted himself like a true gentleman he didn't tell you anything else nothing sir the canadian replied he said you'd already discussed this little stroll indeed i said but didn't he give you any details on not a one mister naturalist you will be going with us right me why yes certainly of course I can see that you like the idea mr. land yes it will be a really unusual experience and possibly dangerous I added in an insinuating tone. dangerous Ned land replied a simple trip to an oyster bank assuredly captain Nemo hadn't seen fit to plant the idea of sharks in the minds of my companions for my part i stared at them with anxious eyes as if they were already missing a limb or two should i alert them yes surely but i hardly knew how to go about it would master conseil said to me give us some background on pearl fishing on the fishing itself i asked or on the occupational hazards that on the fishing the canadian replied Before we tackle the terrain, it helps to be familiar with it. All right, sit down, my friends, and I'll teach you everything I myself have just been taught by the Englishman H.C. Sir. Ned and Conseil took seats on a couch, and right off the Canadian said to me, Sir, just what is a pearl, exactly? My gallant Ned, I replied, for poets a pearl is a tear from the sea." For orientals, it's a drop of solidified dew. For the ladies, it's a jewel they can wear on their fingers, necks, and ears. That's oblong in shape, glassy in luster, and formed from mother-of-pearl. For chemists, it's a mixture of calcium phosphate and calcium carbonate with a little gelatin protein. And finally, for naturalists, it's a simple festering secretion from the organ that produces mother-of-pearl in certain bivalves branch mollusca, Conseil said, class acephala, order testacea. Correct, my scholarly Conseil. Now then, those testacea capable of producing pearls include rainbow abalone, turbo snails, giant clams, and saltwater scallops. Briefly, all those that secrete mother-of-pearl. In other words, that blue, azure, violet, or white substance lining the insides of their valves. Are muscles included too? the Canadian asked. Yes, the muscles of certain streams in Scotland, Wales, Ireland, Saxony, Bohemia, and France. Good, the Canadian replied. From now on we'll pay closer attention to them. But, I went on, for secreting pearls, the ideal mollusk is the pearl oyster Meleagrina margaritifera, that valuable shellfish. Pearls result simply from mother of pearl solidifying into a globular shape. Either they stick on the oyster's shell, or they become embedded in the creature's folds. On the valves a pearl sticks fast, on the flesh it lies loose, but its nucleus is always some small, hard object say, a sterile egg or a grain of sand, around which the mother-of-pearl is deposited in thin, concentric layers over several years in succession. Can one find several pearls in the same oyster? Conseil asked. Yes, my boy. There are some shellfish that turn into real jewel coffers. They even mention one oyster, about which I remain dubious, that supposedly contained at least 150 sharks hundred and fifty sharks ned land yelped oh did i say sharks i exclaimed hastily i meant a hundred and fifty pearls sharks wouldn't make sense indeed conseil said but will master now tell us how one goes about extracting these pearls one proceeds in several ways and often when pearls stick to the valves fishermen even pull them loose with pliers but usually the shellfish are spread out on mats made from the asparto grass that covers the beaches. Thus they die in the open air, and by the end of ten days they've rotted sufficiently. Next they're immersed in huge tanks of salt water, then they're opened up and washed. At this point the sorters begin their twofold task. First they remove the layers of mother-of-pearl, which are known in the industry by the names legitimate silver, Bastard white or bastard black, and these are shipped out in cases weighing one hundred and twenty five to one hundred and fifty kilograms. Then they remove the oyster's meaty tissue, boil it, and finally strain it in order to extract even the smallest pearls. Do the prices of these pearls differ depending on their size? Conseil asked. Not only on their size, I replied, but also according to their shape their water in other words their color and their orient in other words that dappled shimmering glow that makes them so delightful to the eye the finest pearls are called virgin pearls or paragons they form in isolation within the mollusks tissue they're white often opaque but sometimes of opalescent transparency and usually spherical or pear-shaped the spherical ones are made into bracelets the pear-shaped ones into earrings, and since they're the most valuable, they're priced individually. The other pearls that stick to the oyster's shell are more erratically shaped and are priced by weight. Finally, classed in the lowest order, the smallest pearls are known by the name seed pearls. They're priced by the measuring cup and are used mainly in the creation of embroidery for church vestments. But it must be a long hard job sorting out these pearls by size the canadian said no my friend that task is performed with 11 strainers or sieves that are pierced with different numbers of holes those pearls staying in the strainers with 20 to 80 holes are in the first order those not slipping through the sieves pierced with 100 to 800 holes are in the second order Finally, those pearls for which one uses strainers pierced with nine hundred to a thousand holes make up the seed pearls. How ingenious, Conseil said, to reduce dividing and classifying pearls to a mechanical operation. And could Master tell us the profits brought in by harvesting these banks of pearl oysters? According to Sir's book, I replied, these salon fisheries are farmed annually. For a total profit of three million man eaters. Francs! Conseil rebuked. Yes, francs. Three million francs, I went on. But I don't think these fisheries bring in the returns they once did. Similarly, the Central American fisheries used to make an annual profit of four million francs during the reign of King Charles V, but now they bring in only two thirds of that amount. All in all, it's estimated that nine million francs is the current yearly return for the whole pearl harvesting industry. But, Conseil asked, haven't certain famous pearls been quoted at extremely high prices? Yes, my boy. They say Julius Caesar gave Servilia a pearl worth 120,000 francs in our currency, I've even heard stories, the Canadian said, about some lady in ancient times who drank pearls in vinegar. Cleopatra, Conseil shot back. It must have tasted pretty bad, Ned Land added. Abominable, Ned, my friend, Conseil replied. But when a little glass of vinegar is worth one million five hundred thousand francs, its taste is a small price to pay. I'm sorry I didn't marry the gal, the Canadian said, throwing up his hands with an air of discouragement. Ned Land married to Cleopatra, Conseil exclaimed. But I was all set to tie the knot, Conseil, the Canadian replied in all seriousness, and it wasn't my fault the whole business fell through. I even bought a pearl necklace for my fiance, Kate tender but she married somebody else instead well that necklace cost me only a dollar and fifty cents but you can absolutely trust me on this professor its pearls were so big they wouldn't have gone through that strainer with twenty holes (laughs) my gallant ned i replied laughing those were artificial pearls ordinary glass beads whose insides were coated with essence of orient wow the canadian replied that essence of orient must sell for quite a large sum as little as zero it comes from the scales of a european carp it's nothing more than a silver substance that collects in the water and is preserved in ammonia it's worthless maybe that's why kate Tinder married somebody else replied mr land philosophically but i said getting back to pearls of great value i don't think any sovereign ever possessed one superior to the pearl owned by captain nemo this one?" Conseil said, pointing to a magnificent jewel in its glass case. Exactly, and I'm certainly not far off when I estimate its value at two million, uh, francs, Conseil said quickly. Yes, I said, two million francs, and no doubt all it cost our captain was the effort to pick it up. Ha! Ned Land exclaimed. During our stroll tomorrow, who says we won't run into one just like it? Bah, Conseil put in. And why not? What good would a pearl worth millions do us here on the Nautilus? Here, no, Ned Land said, but elsewhere. Oh, elsewhere, Conseil put in, shaking his head. In fact, I said, Mr. Land is right and if we ever brought back to europe or america a pearl worth millions it would make the story of our adventures more authentic and much more rewarding that's how i see it the canadian said but said Conseil, who perpetually returned to the didactic side of things is this pearl fishing ever dangerous no i replied quickly especially if one takes certain precautions What risks would you run in a job like that? Ned Land said. Swallowing a few gulps of salt water? Whatever you say, Ned. Then, trying to imitate Captain Nemo's carefree tone, I asked, By the way, gallant Ned, are you afraid of sharks? Me? The Canadian replied. I'm a professional harpooner. It's my job to make a mockery of them. It isn't an issue, I said, of fishing for them with a swivel hook hoisting them onto the deck of a ship, chopping off the tail with a sweep of the axe, opening the belly, ripping out the heart, and tossing it into the sea. So, it's an issue of... Huh? Yes, precisely. In the water? In the water. Ye gods, just give me a good harpoon. You see, sir, these sharks are badly designed. They have to roll their bellies over to snap you up. And in the meantime, Ned Land had a way of pronouncing the word snap that sent chills down the spine. Well, how about you, Conseil? What are your feelings about these man-eaters? Me? Conseil said. I'm afraid I must be frank with Master. Good for you, I thought. If Master faces these sharks, Conseil said, I think his loyal manservant should face them with him. End of chapter 2